This is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach. And today I am delighted to welcome Gina LaRoche to the show. Gina, welcome. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you. Gina, I'm really excited about this topic. We're going to dive into a juicy conversation about slowing down and learning that we are enough. So I want to bring the audience um, back to a, a point of understanding. You write so beautifully about the seven laws of enough, but help our audience put that into context and why you're drawn to this concept of enough and abundance. Well, Caroline, when, uh, several years ago, um, almost 20 years ago, I uh, met a man named uh, Les Trayvon, and I talk about him in the book. And he talked, uh, he talked about scarcity and how we are, in his words, swimming in a sea of scarcity. And when I first heard that concept, I was a little put off. I was like, I'm not swimming in a sea of scarcity. Life, my life is just fine. My life is great. But then as I really listened to what he was saying and, and, and investigated for myself, I really did see that I had a lot of um, thoughts about not enough, comparison, um, you know, not good enough, not smart enough. And I, I really wanted to investigate how the, those stories started and how to emerge from them. And as a part of my journey, it's a long journey. Uh, I felt with my co-author, Jen Cohen, that writing a book about our journey would make a difference. And quite frankly, many of our clients and uh, participants who've come to our workshops asked us to write down the practices and learnings that we were teaching them in person so so they could actually hand it out to their friends. Yeah. That's how the book came about. They're like, we can't, can we want to hand something to our spouses and our friends and our neighbors. And so we said, okay, we'll write a book. Well, it, it truly is a gift in how we can approach our mindset, right? How mm -hmm. we think, and I think it can permeate our, our professional and our personal lives. But I want to, again, mm -hmm. dig deeper. Thank you for your willingness to be vulnerable, to say, hey, I didn't mm -hmm. maybe necessarily think this related to me in the beginning, but I'm sure all of us on some level can relate to those comparisons, right? And thinking that we're not Absolutely. ready enough or good enough. So talk about the seven laws of enough and how that really supports the achievement of abundance. Sure. So the seven laws, we'll just start with the first one is that stories matter. And essentially, we're all shaped by the stories of who we are, where we've come from and where we're going. Um, and, um, you know, that could be our religion, our country of origin, our, our race, nationality, whether we're married or not married, have kids or whether we're in you know, we work in a corporate environment or a nonprofit environment, that we have a story about who we are. And so that's the first law is that stories matter. And it's really important that we pay attention to them. Law number two is a prof profound and bold declaration of I am enough. And just to say that for some people can be really tricky. Um, and what I often say to my clients is you are enough, you do enough, and I assure you that you have enough. Mm. And if we allowed ourselves, or well, here's the question, what would be available to you, to all of us, if we took the debate off the table? Like it's not even a debate anymore. You are enough. 
Law number three is I belong. And um, this is well, I always say, I'll say often, this is one of my favorite laws. I say that quite a bit, but you belong, period, full stop, regardless of the stories you tell yourself. And for me, being a black woman in the United States, my this story of belonging and this law of just saying that I belong and regardless of what the stories it mean, the stories I have heard um, my whole life about what it means to be a black woman in this country are irrelevant because it's my birthright to belong here and it's everyone's birthright. And so we all belong. Law number four is no one is exempt. And essentially, we cannot insulate ourselves from life's ups and downs. And not only can we not insulate ourselves, but we shouldn't lie about it. And there is freedom when we stop trying. Law number five is resting is required. And this law really points the way to resting deeply in ourselves. Really, that, that, that rest allows us to remember the truth of the rest of the laws. Law number six is joy is available and uh, reminds us to have fun, lighten up, and not take ourselves and life too seriously. And finally, law number seven, which I often say, Caroline, might be the only law, is that love is the answer. So no matter what the question is, the answer is always love. So those are the seven laws of enough. And you know what's so beautiful about them? They're they're so simple, and I mean that in the elegant sense, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and so um, comprehensible. And I loved the confidence that you brought to say no debate, full stop. Right? You are yeah. enough. You do belong. No one is exempt. The clarity is just crystal clear. Again, trying to help our audience that that might just be wrapping their brains around this for the first time. We do come from often come from a place of scarcity. And you and Jen so beautifully in the book talk about taking the scare out of scarcity. Can you speak to that? Yes. The scarcity story that I discovered um, that I was in and what uh, I have found many of my friends and clients and family members are in really is shaped by um, myths. And we articulate them as the myths of scarcity, which came from Lynn Twist's book, who's a dear colleague of ours, The Soul of Money. The myths of scarcity um, are three. The first is there is not enough. Um, The second is more is better. I I like to say, actually, more is always better, Mm. is the myth. And then the third myth of scarcity is this is just the way it is. So there's really nothing we can do about it. There's not enough, more is better, and there's nothing you or I or anyone else can do about it. In addition to these myths of scarcity, there's also these myths of excess, mm. and which is really the flip side of the same coin. And the first myth is you can have it all. The second myth is having it all will make you happy. And the third myth, which is um, something that uh, I, I noticed in myself that was, was running my life, is if you do not have it all and or, Caroline, you are not happy, guess what? It is your fault. Mm-hmm. And those myths drive 
the scarcity or the fundamental drivers of that scarcity story. And so discerning them as myths allows us to take the scare out of scarcity and, and offers us our first step toward a life of sustainable abundance through the seven laws. So I hear you as, as a coach and an author and an organizational consultant, what you're saying is we need to reframe and give ourselves permission to debunk those myths. Absolutely. You know, A, an opportunity to, first of all, there's awareness, right? We need to bring awareness to our situation, just like I shared. Oh, I am noticing some scarcity, some suffering. And then once we have that awareness, then we can start to unwind. Mm. And then in the unwinding, then we have an opportunity to use language and self-author the future. We can declare and, and in, invent and intend a new future. Um, and it doesn't have to be grandiose. It could be a small thing. Like one of the stories I often tell is my children went to a, a boarding school and, and they were in boarding school and, and no one in my family had ever been to a private school or a boarding school. And my children were on financial aid. And whenever I would, and I, you know, they were one of the few black children at the school. And when I would go to the school, to any parent event, I would sit in the back. I would always sit in the back because I didn't belong. I didn't belong. It wasn't my school. I wasn't white. I wasn't wealthy. I just didn't belong. And once I started working the laws and seeing my own scarcity story, um, it, I, I didn't intend this, but w I noticed one time I was at the school, I was in the front row. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow, I'm sitting in the front row. So it could be really subtle things, like I'm sitting in the front row at a school event, or it could be a grand thing, like I am going to leave my job, recreate my life. Um, and, and some people go the minimalist route. We're not necessarily recommending it. So you could move out to a yurt if that's what you want. But this book and our pathway is really for you to create your own life in the way that works for you. So it's not about, you know, putting all your clothes in one suitcase or it, it, it it's just not that it's what works for you and what is enough. I'm so grateful for the phrase you shared, you can self-author, right? And yeah. these can be baby steps and mm -hmm. small shifts. But I, I even, um, I wrote down, work the laws, right? Yeah. Figure out yeah. how to incorporate them into your daily life. Gina, mm -hmm. we'll be right back after a quick break. Your working life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to learn more about. We want this podcast to serve you in all of your career and life needs. Send me an email at caroline at carolinedoubthiggins.com. So, Gina, thank you for sharing that personal story about turning scarcity into a life of enough with the boarding school model with your kids. What are some other baby steps that people might take on a daily basis? Because this is a real mental shift for many. Yeah, we, you know, there's a number of 
places we could start. In the book, we often we start with gratitude, and often that's where I will start with um, our clients. Two is just be grateful for what you have, and notice the little things that I'll do is when I wake up in the morning, be truly grateful that I have awoken, that my eyes I I'm sighted, that my eyes can see, my breath is breathing. Uh, that for me, my, my husband, my spouse is next to me. He is breathing that I can stand up and notice this step, this step, and really be grateful for that, you know, so that gratitude practice doesn't have to be, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for a job, which I, which you might be grateful for a job, but you could just be grateful for your heart beating today in this moment. We also offer generosity as a baby step. Um, the other day I texted my sister and I, and I had some kind of underlying complaint in my text, like, Oh, I have to get up and be at work at a client at seven 30 in the morning. And she texted me back and said, I've had two hours of sleep. My son's thrown up all night, blah, 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 blah. And I had this moment of like, oh yeah, there's always someone out in the world who has it probably worse off than us, particularly if we live in the United States. And to really be um, generous with our time, our talent, our treasure, our attention um, can bring us to this place of I'm enough when you start to notice. Yeah, puts it all in perspective. Exactly. So what about the the fallacy of being self-made? I, I found that really, really compelling. Tell us more. Yeah, as a part of our work, we really see that one of the things that keeps us separate and keeps us thinking that we're not enough is that, particularly in this country, we have um, th- this belief that of all these people who are self-made men, they're usually men, but not always, Uh, In the book, I talk about Ben Franklin. There's a a recent uh, biography out about um, Frederick Douglass, Um, you know, the story of Horatio Alger. Like we just grab ourselves up by our bootstraps and and we create um, ourselves and, and and we can go from rags to riches with no help and we can all do it. And if you just work hard you can get there. And the truth is none, none of them were self-made. Benjamin Franklin, the reason why Benjamin Franklin got to go off and do all these great things is because he abandoned his elderly parents to his sister to take care of them with, with no help from him. Similarly, Frederick Douglass also has been known as a self-made man, had help from many women in his life to be the orator and statesman that he became. And so what I, what I often say to my clients and my friends and neighbors are, you know, we are driving on roads in cars we, cars we did not build, on roads we did not pave. We get to show up at the grocery store for some of some grocery stores any time in the 24 hours to get food that we did not grow to go home at, our, at any time. <clears throat> And so this notion that we're self-made is just not true. And that allows that separation, I think, keeps that scarcity story alive. And if you start to see the interconnection 
around belonging and enoughness and exemption, then we can start to say, oh, we are all connected. And this is my path to a life of sustainable abundance together, not alone. We go together. I appreciate that. You know, this is an interesting time. Imposter syndrome is trending as a, um, you know, term, and we're we're talking a lot about um, confidence. And I, I see correlations here with uh, the concept and the and the laws of enough. Right? How might you address imposter syndrome? Does that have a reflection on the myth of separation or scarcity? How does that work? Well, I think for all of us, um, imposter syndrome can look differently. Um, and I know it's uh, men and women can suffer from it, but it seems to be more prevalent in women. Um, so for me, imposter syndrome more, more <clears throat> grew out of my story around race. And so the belonging law really helps me. For other people, imposter syndrome can come out of this exemption known as exempt because if you've, if, if someone in your family, let's say your mother died when you were a child or you had something horrible in your life happen, you can feel like, um, you, you know, I'm an imposter. I didn't really, I didn't really get here because I didn't have the support I was looking for. So everyone I think arrives at their imposter syndrome from a different lens. Mm. Um, And what I know for myself, really the power of language, the power of practice has helped me um, move through my own imposter syndrome. So for me, I do, and and you'll see in the book and every chapter of the book has practices and we have a lot of awareness practices or mindfulness practices. And my own meditation practice has had me see that that thought of I'm not good enough or this paper isn't good enough or this book isn't good enough or this interview isn't good enough is just a thought. Yeah. And that's all it is, is a thought. It is not the truth. It's just a thought and thoughts come and go like the wind. Yeah. It's a moment. Yeah. It's a moment. And so that's how I've worked through imposter syndrome. Some people don't believe their work is enough. Like they've written the seminal piece on, you know, you know, the environment or leadership or mentoring or, you know, finances. And it's somehow it's not good enough. So to me, that's back into the scarcity. Like no matter what I do, I'm not enough. It's not enough. And that's more in law number two. So that's how I think of imposter syndrome. We all come at it from a different place, but the seeds of it really are in this scarcity story and the seven laws, depending on how you've arrived at it, can pu- you can pull the thread and, and hopefully find uh, a path out. So let's take a look at, at law number five, which is resting is required. You know, it's such an interesting time. People are busy, they're time-starved, they're overstimulated. Why why is the rest important in cultivating sustainable abundance? So first, I really want to be clear. I am talking about the rest of the nervous system. Okay. So, So I am not saying that I'm against you sitting down with popcorn and a glass of wine watching Scandal. I'm not against that. But what 
we are talking about is this uh, resting that parasympathetic nervous system so the brain and the nervous system can find a place of relaxation and center. And we are always in this busyness, have the sympathetic nervous system hyped up on, on, on. And that really was supposed to keep us safe from the uh, tiger coming across the tundra. Right. And the, right. The tiger would come, we would run, we would fight safety. We would, we would rest, relax, recover and be fine. But now life is always the tiger all the time. But this time the tiger isn't a tiger. It's your boss. It's that next email. It's the text message. It's the Slack. It's the latest tweet news thing. And and that is causing us to be in this heightened awareness and heightened state that, quite frankly, we cannot sustain as a, as a human being and a human animal. And so not only is it important to a life of sustainable abundance, it is important to all of life. If we don't unwind and find a place to rest, uh, we're not going to make it. These people who are working, you know, not taking any time off from work, they're on email all the time, waking up at 3 a.m. to talk to whomever in the, on the other side of the world, don't take vacations or when they go on vacation, they're still working. They are not going to make it because the body, the body will always win in the end. (laughs) Hence, hence law number four, no one is exempt. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So I think the, the most uh, wonderful way for us to end is to talk about love and the context Mm. of sustainable abundance. Why love? Oh, well, it's the antidote to fear. Mm. And it seems to me a lot, there's a lot of fear in the world um, coming from all sides. Um, I think the love, you know, you said that the the laws were simple. Um, they are, and yet they're not easy. And this law is really difficult because it takes a tremendous amount of courage to stand in love for people you may not know, for people you may not even like, for people who look different from you, who have different clothing than you, who have different amounts of money than you, but to really stand from a place of love takes courage. And I, I, I don't know, Caroline, it's like, I don't, I don't know why I was put on this earth and I don't know what's going to happen when I leave. So I might as well have the courage just to love because what else am I here to do? Seriously. And that's a beautiful way for us to end. Gina, I learned so much from you today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I want to give a shout out to your amazing co-author, Jennifer Cohen. The book is called The Seven Laws of Enough, Cultivating a Life of Sustainable Abundance. I've got it right here in front of me and it's dog-eared and highlighted and I've just enjoyed it so much and it has been really thrilling to have you on the show today. Thank you. You're welcome, Caroline. Thank you for having me. And if you like our show, please subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. And even better, leave us a review because this helps people find us online. And do let me know what career-minded issues you would like for us to discuss on a future show. You can find me at Twitter 
at C. Dowd Higgins. And I always want to give a special shout out to my amazing Your Working Life colleagues. Laura Deck is our Executive Director of Publicity and Communications. And Claire McInerney is our Executive Producer. Thank you for the extraordinary work you do to make this podcast meaningful for our audience. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. Thanks for listening. Thank you.